Okay, we're back in the Charity Charge studio, world headquarters, Austin, Texas. Today on the podcast, I'm super excited to have my friend, Morgan Hurley, director of Texas Stars Foundation. Thanks for being in here with us, Morgan. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's really a pleasure. I think that I appreciate you dealing with us as we were trying to get the mics going and everything. All good. All good stuff. Yeah. You know, I want to dump jump into um, a bunch of different things on this episode that we have with you. But just to start off, do you mind just sharing with the audience a little bit about what the Texas Stars Foundation is and what you all do? Absolutely. So the Texas Stars Foundation, we are the charitable arm of the Texas Stars Hockey Club which is the primary affiliate to the Dallas Stars hockey team, the NHL hockey team. Um, so we are under the, basically we're their minor league team, we're their farm team in the AHL. Um, and my role is to run the foundation. Um, we do a variety of special events, a variety of you know online campaigns, um, as well as managing all of the community relations that the team would have. So anytime a player visits a hospital or a school or, you know, any kind of event, that's all run through the foundation. Um, We, our primary function as a foundation is to give out grants. This year we're giving out about $70,000 in grants with an additional $25,000 to $35,000 in monetary gifts in, um, on top of that. So each season we give out roughly $100,000, $110,000 um, to uh, specifically Central Texas nonprofits, um, primarily in the Leander, Round Rock, Cedar Park area because that's where we're located. But we definitely come down into Austin um, and, and give out give out gifts there. And what I was surprised, correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. my recollection is that the amount of support, whether it's monetary or in-kind tickets or uh, you know other materials and such, is hundreds and hundreds of nonprofits that you're touching and supporting throughout Ab- the year. Is that right? Absolutely. So one of our um, programs that we do is um, is all in-kind gifts. So each season we or each year, we probably do it by the fiscal year, um, there's about 250 to 300 nonprofits that receive a prize pack, if you will, which is a value of about $150. Um, and they use those for their own events. So it can be a raffle item, a silent auction item. And the pack includes, you know, tickets, autographed puck, some, you know, goodies, freebies, um, usually something from our mascot. Um, and so, but we give out those, um, and they're, you know, like I said, they're valued anywhere from $120 to $150, depending on whatever items are in there. And we give those to basically any nonprofit that asks for it um, that's located here in Texas or in Central Texas. Um, okay. And even as, as deep, I think you were mentioning that some groups might even come up from Houston. Oh, yeah. I mean, it extends for yeah. sure, which I was I was really you know, I, we surprised just did, by. We just had two groups um, yesterday. That were you know down in San Antonio. Uh-huh. Um, and you give a shout out. Who were they? Oh gosh, you put me on the spot. I think okay. we had. I think I approved thirty of them yesterday. Wow. So I probably get anywhere from anywhere from ten to twenty requests a week. So you could probably do that math. Sure. Um, now that uh, I mean, I could. That's uh, 80, that's over eight hundred. It's mean, not talking, that many then. Okay. It's probably you said six fifty when we were together. Then then I'm not that far. Okay. It's probably that close. You should um, just interview me for this. Yeah, right. Now. You know all my you know my job better. Um, still early on a Saturday. 
Um, but we, we just had a nice conversation about that, actually. <laughs> yeah. But we enjoy. We try to do this podcast on Saturdays just to have some creative mind space, you know, instead of jamming it in during the week. It definitely works well with the not having to coordinate on top of my regular day to day. I no, I appreciate that. You know, something that I want to touch on and make very clear for anyone listening, I think that your model that you're pursuing is super interesting and awesome. And prior to, for, for me personally, having any experience in the nonprofit industry, I always thought of nonprofits in their traditional um, front facing, you know, your local, your animal shelter mm-hmm. or your, you know, direct kind of services relief, maybe food kitchen, things like that. Um, but um, what I think is really interesting about your model is it's set up as a foundation. It's essentially a sister nonprofit from a entity and legal structure to the Texas Stars, you know, organization mm-hmm. itself. But through that vehicle, you're able to do really two things that you just touched on to make it clear to the audience is one is all the community relations, right? As you were mentioning, when getting players, if they want need to go visit uh, people in the hospital or just do any sort of community engagement thing, which is great um, to get more out there. But then also you're essentially a nonprofit that's providing support for other nonprofits, which more and more, you know, we see that. And I love this hybrid model. So curious if you could talk a little bit about your perspective on that, but also the origins, because the foundation came later. Obviously, yeah. the Texas Stars was an, an organization prior Abs- to that. Absolutely. So the Texas Stars hockey team, has. we are in our 10th year. We're celebrating our 10th anniversary season. Um, the foundation's been around for nine years. So the very first season, the foundation was not in existence. Um, and it was a very purposeful decision to have this organization made as a foundation rather than um, a community relations department. A lot of smaller, I would call as a small to mid-sized foundation. I mean, I don't even know I'd go mid-sized. We're a pretty small foundation in this scheme of things. Um, But a lot of these minor league teams don't even have the the support to to pay a full-time person to run a non you know, run a foundation. Mm-hmm. So they put it under their marketing director and they have a community relations manager and, you know, that marketing director is balancing all of the marketing, re- you know, responsibilities and the mascot and handling these community relations um, requests. And so our team set it up quite differently and they model it after the Dallas Stars Foundation, which has been, they've been around since I believe... I'm sure this is wrong, but I believe since like the 80s, it's like 30 or 40 years that 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 foundation has been around. Um, And they they do incredible work in Dallas and millions and millions of dollars each season. Um, So ours is sort of the the little sister, if you will, to that. Um, And so they created the foundation. We set up a board. All of our board members have some kind of relationship to the team, um, whether they are previous staff members or... um, we have a player and his wife that sit on the board. Um, and then we have uh, current staff, current employees. I'm not on the board. However, I help run the board meetings and I work with our board members to keep them engaged and involved. Um, and so once the board was established and it's evolved over the course of the years, but we usually have about seven or eight people that sit on the board. Um, the board is established. We knew we wanted a way for our fans Um, because that's the primary goal of the team, right, is to engage fans and have fans come to the game. Um, Like you said, we are in a 
a supplemental aspect to this professional hockey team. Right. And so the goal of any organization is to make money and to raise, you know, and so you want your fans to continue to be fans to then sort of go through this um, evolution of becoming one-time fans to coming to a couple of games, to being partial season ticket holders, to being annual season ticket holders. And the way that they do that is they feel invested in the team and they feel invested in the players and they feel invested in what the organization brings to, to the community. And so the foundation is truly set up to give, you know, the people of Cedar Park and the people of Round Rock and of Leander a way to feel invested in the community. Um, and so our fans are our donors, our donors are our fans. And it's a very interesting kind of crossover, if you will. Um, sure. I mean, in that donor base. No, absolutely. And if, and if you don't mind, I mean, all the things that you're touching on, I think are very relevant in kind of the new hybrid system of how we should be thinking about for-profit companies and also mm-hmm. nonprofits. And we see a lot of, you know, overlap between the two. I think Absolutely. what's incredible about the foundation, your foundation, is that it, it it helps fulfill the mission of the more or less the for-profit side of putting people in seats, but you're also doing good in the community. Absolutely. And I mean, I would just say maybe we can touch on this and if, if, if some of the other kind of practical initiatives that you do. Mm-hmm. But for example, I mean, the whole goal I mean, more or less, right? You want to get as many people in the seats. So you you may have a typical butts in seats. That's a a phrase you'll hear if you're a sports student. You've probably been pounded, that's been pounded in your brain since you're a freshman. Um, And and that's how you make money because it it affects concessions, it affects ticket sales, it affects every aspect of the building. Um, And by doing so, it then affects how much money the nonprofit raises. Um, and then yeah. that affects how much we can give out. No, absolutely. And, w- and what I think is domino. like fully integrated with it is if a nonprofit reaches out and needs support from you, say, for example, you give them a package that they can then raffle off that might mm-hmm. include tickets, things like that. The nonprofit gets to raise money. So they're getting a donation. Those tickets are going to someone who's then going to show up, who's going to buy concessions, might come back for future games, whatever. So I just think it's a really smart way Um for you guys to grow your business, but also be doing good at the same time. And what I really respected and appreciated about you is how transparent, you know, <laughs> and open you are about that. Because I think that, you know, oftentimes companies are struggling with how to accomplish both, but sometimes um, they aren't, you know, just as as open about like the whole purpose of it. And I think it's awesome when there's no when, when both can be accomplished at the same time. Absolutely, I've always been a a real advocate for just the the honesty behind it. There's all these terrible PR stories of, you know, nonprofits being shady and not in found foundations, especially can occasionally get a really bad rap for that. And I don't under, I, there's no reason for that. It's very clear that we are a, a for, you know, for profit or I'm the foundation is not, but the Texas stars are a for-profit entity. They want to play good hockey. They want to sell out the, the arena every night and they want our guests to have a good time. I mean, it's an entertainment industry. Um, the foundation is lucky in that we kind of get to piggyback on that. You know, we have a built-in set of donors, and you can ask any nonprofit that cultivating that that donor base is really tough. But I can be in front of five thousand people three nights a week for six months during the season, and then depending on however long playoffs go or whatever, um, we have this incredible 
ability to have, raise awareness very quickly in front of our fans. Let's touch on that a bit because what I think is awesome, you were sharing with me when we met earlier, mm-hmm. some of the interactive ways that you engage fans and raise money oh, throughout yeah. the game. Can you talk about some of the programs that you do at the actual arena itself during the game? Yeah, so we do a couple of um, a couple of initiatives at every at every home game. Um, our primary initiative is probably a thing most people have heard of. It's called a 50-50 raffle. You know, you buy a I hadn't heard of this oh. before, <laughs> okay. actually. Maybe if you're listening, yeah, you have. I can explain it. It's, dark, it's like it, I think a, it's super cool, and I'm excited to participate. participate. Charity Charge is coming out. We bought a block of seats. And, uh, <laughs> we're really excited to, to be guests of yours. Yeah, and so 50-50 is the, uh, the quintessential Catholic school fundraiser. You buy a raffle ticket or you buy multiple raffle I'm tickets. Jewish, so oh, well, there you go. <laughs> that's you why I didn't know about this. Yeah. Um, and so you, you buy a raffle ticket, you buy a couple, all of the money goes into a pot. At the end of the night, we pick a raffle number and the winner of the raffle number goes home with half of the pot and the other half goes to the foundation, hence 50-50. Um, and so that was actually, most sports teams do something like that. Um, and up until two years ago, the only gambling is illegal here in the state of Texas. It's a, that is very clearly a form of gambling, right? Um, but there was a law written that allowed major league sports teams to host 50, 50 raffles. So your Texas Rangers, your Dallas stars, your San Antonio Spurs, like they could all host 50, 50 raffles, the Dallas Mavericks in their arenas because the funds were very specifically going to a nonprofit organization. Um, and they have to be, it's per the law, that money has to be able to be traced to go to a granting process. So it has to be used for your grants. Um, two years ago, there was this like underground sort of whisperings that they were going to try and start a bill that would include minor league teams. So myself and my boss worked with a commissioner here and then who worked with the governor to make sure that they were able to, because they had to list each particular um, league, basically. So we're the AHL. I don't know what the league, the Round Rock Express are, but whatever league they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the governor signed off on it. But then it had to go through this whole thing because all of a sudden a lot of sports wanted to be able to host these raffles. Um tennis tournaments, race carve things. Um, and so, but we, they added the whole list of leagues basically. Um, and then it went to a vote. And so we actually worked with our fans and, you know, we posted about it, make sure you vote yes on bill, whatever. Um, and it passed, thank goodness. And so since then the 50, 50 raffle in the last two years, I believe, I, I think we're up to over, it's raised over $90,000 awesome. in the last two years. Now, we were very lucky last year. The guys went all the way to the Calder Cup finals. So we had an additional, whatever that is, like 15 home games. <laughs> so there was more opportunities. Um, but, you know, every night it's an extra couple thousand dollars. And it gets split and everything. But it's still, it's, it's very... Um, it doesn't take a lot of manpower um, and you can run it and you can host it 
multiple times a week. Right. right. And I think and there's that, some sustainability to it. Th- that's another like terrific thing when you touch on sustainability. I mean, so many nonprofits struggle with Absolutely. donor fatigue and, you know, making too many asks and having the same ask how and all that. Balance but it out. I think this is a really great interactive way that you figured out how to leverage people's want to be involved and they yeah. know it's going to a, and a good your cause. Strengths. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, um, for any nonprofit that's listening, my my takeaways, and I think your takeaways should be um, try to think creatively and strategically of you know what your assets are as a nonprofit and mm-hmm. how you can best leverage those. I mean, I think for you, obviously, you have this built-in audience. You have fans that are coming, um, and you figured out a way to get them engaged, get them to you know open up their wallets, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's something that you can just repeat, which is which is also critical you know, for organizations, as you mentioned, you've probably been through this process so many games that it just works. It's clockwork. It's, you know, probably it's systematic now. And, um, and I feel really lucky, you know, that it has, that it has taken off and we've been really lucky. Um, cause you compare, you can, most teams will post their, they have to post the results on their website. So you can compare, you know, who's making a lot, who's raising a, or who's ma- raising a lot, who's raising a little. And, um, so we've been we've definitely been on the mid to higher end um, for a minor league team. Um, major league teams will make five to ten thousand dollars, you know, every single game. So that's pretty incredible. Another thing that I think is uh, you mentioned the creativity aspect of it mm-hmm. that we do, um, and you'll see this at a lot of hockey games in particular, is called Chuck a Puck. Um, we don't do it quite as often anymore. Can we do it when we're there? Uh, anyway? We have we have a Chuck a Puck on March. 1st and March 10th. I think we're going to be there the 27th. So I don't, I don't think no, we'll have one that night. I don't have that kind of pool yet. Uh, not yet. Not yet. Damn. All right. Um, but I see where we, I see where we stand. <laughs> um, but Chuck-a-Puck is one of those very, very specific, um, but it uh, kind of fundraisers and, you know, fans buy a little foam puck. And then we put so it's foam. Okay, yeah, this the, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's not this at lunch, and I was thinking this could be really fucking dangerous. <laughs> no, you're if, not gonna uh, like give someone a concussion okay. <laughs> by throwing a puck at like onto the ice. We also um, record this as is, so I'm sorry, I cannot bleep that out. Excuse <laughs> my cursing. Um, but you buy, we put a bullseye out in the center of the ice, and you buy these little foam pucks for uh, two dollars or six for ten dollars. Um, is it weighted enough? I mean, can you? Oh, you can fling throw, them. You can. Get it's it kind going? of like a. I don't. I don't know how much it weighs, but it's you know it's this size of a puck, but cool. it is foam, and they have um, each puck has a number on it. Mm-hmm. So we record the number when you purchase it, and we write your name and your phone number or your email, however you want to be contacted. Um, and we have two winners each time. Um, someone who wins probably the the closest to the center and you get to pick between an autographed jersey or a, we have a TV sponsor. So a TV, mm-hmm. um, and then the second person gets the other prize. So, um, that's always fun because the kids can participate. Um, and a lot of what we do is, you know, we're a family, you know, it's a family outing for a lot of people. They're bringing a child. Not on Friday nights. Not though. on Friday nights with, no, not with the $2 beer nights. Um, That's when so, we're going. So 50-50 raffle is, you know, you have to be 18 or older to participate. Um, but for Chuck-A-Puck, we, it's really fun for the little kids. So... That's a, that's always a fun, you know, kind of extra during a game. But that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. I love that you have figured out creative ways to raise revenue and make an impact and then also tie that directly to the ultimate, you know, revenue for profit goal, which then 
and the, sustainability the, for the foundation. I mean, it all works. The cool thing together. about Puck and I did not invent this. This is a hockey wide thing. Um, but the great thing about Puck is it takes a, it takes about eight or 10 volunteers to then during the intermission, go and clean up all of these pucks. And those volunteers are usually the non are usually from a nonprofit that is going to be the beneficiary of the funds from Chuckapuck. So every Chuckapuck has some kind of nonprofit attached to it. One coming up, I know, is um, Texas Humane Heroes, an animal shelter up in up in Leander, and um, so they provide the volunteers. They help run this fundraiser. They come to the game. They help clean up the fundraiser, and then they make a portion of the proceeds. From the Chuckapuck gets split between the foundation and in this organization, and so it's kind of a full circle. Usually, that organization is also on some kind of ticket sales fundraiser, you know, where they have a whole group of people coming to the game, um, and they've done a fundraiser where you know a dollar ticket goes back to the group, and so there's some incentive um, to get a lot of people to come. Um, but it it is very you know a very symbiotic kind of relationship and. They're putting in some work. They're raising some money. It's fun for the fans. It's fun for the team. You know, it it just adds to the overall experience of coming to a game. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I love it. Thank you so much for yeah. sharing all that. Yeah. I have a couple of things that I want to kind of ask you a little bit, maybe in your own history that, that predate, predate you joining yeah. um, the Texas Stars Foundation. Can you talk a little bit about your um, just perspective on kind of life and career and why you wanted to get into the nonprofit sector in the first place? Absolutely. And I'm hoping that just to give you some context, the question behind the question is, you know, maybe for people that are listening that are, um, you know, in high school or in college and and are kind of thinking, what am I going to do with my life, you know, and maybe want to pursue a nonprofit career path. uh, Maybe if you just share your background, they can kind of learn from how, how you got into this role. Absolutely. So I went to co- I went to college and I studied international affairs um, with every intention of becoming a lawyer. <laughs> Both my parents are lawyers, um, and then I was like, "That's I don't want to be a lawyer because I don't have any other idea of what to be." Um, and I was always very socially engaged, very act- like very socially active. Um, I was you know, at one point I had finished the application to join the Peace Corps. I just, I knew I had this calling to serve in some aspect. Um, and so I ended up, I go, I went to grad school. I went to business school. Um, the particular grad school I chose had an, an entire nonprofit and philanthropy center. And I worked a lot. And with tell them. us where you went to graduate school. Um, I went to Rollins College in awesome. Winter Park, Florida. Yep. Um, and so I, it was a wonderful experience for me. And I'll say this: I mean, obviously, I can only have my perspective on it, but I've been impressed as I've now been in this industry, so to speak. Mm-hmm. There are quite a few um, colleges or graduate programs that offer, you know, focuses and concentrations in nonprofit related things. So for anyone that's listening, I mean, realize that that really is an academic path. It fully is for, you know, um, the Lilly school at Indiana university, they offer a PhD in philanthropy. Like it is, I mean, you can, the the academic route is incredible that you can go and you don't have to start there. Um, but, um, I know in Orlando university, central Florida has a master's in nonprofit management. Like it's an entire master's degree. Um, so it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, but I, I worked in this you know, I, I worked with the nonprofit center. They had a program where they put students on nonprofit boards. So I was like a, a nonprofit board member when I was 
21 years old, mostly just soaking it all in as a shadow. But I, I was on the board of a, a foster care and adoption agency. And it was a really incredible experience to be at this, you know, board, you know, long table with 20 people who had some kind of personal tie to this organization um, and to hear them want to, you know, forward the mission and how can their respective careers help make this nonprofit better. And I was really, really inspired by that. Um, and so I was, you know, the president of the Association of Fundraising Professionals in school. And I actually came and went to the AFP conference here in San Antonio a few years ago. And it was really interesting just to hear about the, you know, hundreds of thousands of nonprofits across the country and all of the things that they're accomplishing. Um, and that was something that was important to me was to feel inspired and feel engaged in my career choice. Um, so I graduated. I got a job working at a science museum, fundraising for them right out of school. Um, but at the same time, I was also just a whole nother interest of mine. I was a high school running coach. Um, and so I coached cross country for about five years and I knew my next venture, I wanted to combine nonprofits and sports. And that's all I knew. Um, my husband was moved out here for work and congratulations <laughs> on your, yeah, my, my recently, my recently new husband. Um, and I got really lucky um, I found a job that was in fundraising and sports. So, and how did you find that job? Matter of fact, <laughs> you know, I wish it was like some cool thing, but it was literally like I think Indeed. <laughs> I think it awesome. was online. I was living. I was living in Florida at the time, mm-hmm. um, and so I came. I moved out here, and for about a month, I was volunteering, strictly volunteering with the United Way, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of get my feet wet in the nonprofit world here while we were settling in. Um, and then about a month later, I started with the stars and I've been there almost two and a half, three years. I love your story. and I love your path. And the other thing, um, you know, we're gonna take some photos from this episode so people might be able to see, but you're young too. I, I am. Mean, yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I mean, you're under 30. I don't yeah. always want to ask a woman her age, but. Yeah. yeah I but, turned 20. Let's see. I can do the math. Turned 28 in April. Congrats. Thank you. It's <laughs> amazing. Did we go over this what day? I'm April 4th. Oh, I'm April 7th. All right. That's Very why we cool. get along. Yeah. Both Aries. Yes. Way to go. All right. All right. I like this. <laughs> um, no, but look, I, I, I think if I want to just kind of summarize it back to the audience, what I think is yeah. terrific about what you just said is, you know, you were willing to um, follow a passion, something that, that you had of interest. You're willing to pursue that academically, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, at an early age, you realize that, hey, I can just start getting involved. I can volunteer. I can join a board. There's no reason why I can't just get experience um, at this young age. And then I think as you continue to get experience, um, you were able to parlay that just to take a shot at just applying to a random job or, you know, and I think yeah. so, so many people get discouraged in, in anything in life, but it's always just one thing has to go your way. So you, you could have applied for like 50 jobs here, but oh, if, I if did. Once, I absolutely and only did. one has to say yes, you know, and I think that for anyone listening, it's very important to understand that there are very straightforward paths getting involved with nonprofits. And part of the cool thing, honestly, is the fact of the volunteer kind of mission. So yeah. it's easy to get experience. And, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, we were talking about it a little bit before, mm-hmm. but I think the other thing, not to discourage people, I would bet early on, especially when you were part of these boards, it was exciting, but I would gather a lot of the things you've learned is what not to do. You probably saw some inefficiencies or this or that. So, Oh, absolutely. There probably were moments too where it wasn't all great and maybe it was a little frustrating or whatever, but you you take away awesome learnings to now you can apply 
in your role as um, you know director yeah. of the foundation. Without a doubt, working in the nonprofit world, you have incredibly limited resources. You have incredibly limited time, and you have incredibly limited funds. But what you don't have is if if, if everyone's been hired for the right mission and right purpose, you don't have incredibly limited um, engagement in your employees. They're there. They know they aren't getting paid the most. They know they're going to work ridiculous hours because every nonprofit still hosts special events as much as, you know, there's all kinds of studies about the uh, success rate or non-success rate of special events. It's a necessary evil at some point. Um, And so you have to really, you know, really respect your employees and really make sure that when you take a job or take an opportunity with a nonprofit that you care about that mission and that that mission means something to you personally and that you feel invested in that organization. Because otherwise, at some point, it becomes a job and it becomes a low-paying job and it becomes a stressful, low-paying job. And that's that's not the goal, right? You cho- If you've chosen to go into nonprofits or chosen to go into a, a mission-driven organization, um, it's because you believed in it. And it's very easy to get disillusioned from that belief, um, you know, when you can't buy a new dress or new shoes or <laughs> whatever no, it is, or pay your student loans, whatever was, the case may be. It's such an honest it's, and thoughtful It's really difficult. Perspective. And, you, and so you have to truly believe in what your organization is doing. If you're going to spend a th- whatever, whatever that statistic is, a third of your life there, you know, 40 to 60 hours a week there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it can be daunting for sure. And um, I feel really lucky. You know, I know what we're doing at the foundation is important. Our mission is we have three tiers of kind of groups that we're – are we running out of time? Sorry. I'm not going to give you the signals. <laughs> no, pretty soon. We're going to have okay. to – we have like 25 seconds oh, okay. if we can do well, that. that. Not to rush it, but yeah. we're still well, figuring out how we're doing all this stuff. Find a mission and love it. We can do a part two. We yeah. can do part two of this. Find stuff. a mission and love it. That's I was all trying I to give the signal, but <laughs> I need to come up with like cue cards or something, but – there's it's You're counting. Done. There's literally 10 seconds left. So yeah. I'm going to thank Morgan Hurley, oh, yeah. the director of the Texas Stars Foundation for coming on the Charity Charge podcast. It really was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.